Welcome to Lingthusiasm, a podcast that's enthusiastic about linguistics. I'm Lauren Gorn. And I'm Gretchen McCulloch. And today, we are all over the place with vowel gymnastics. But first, our monthly Patreon episode this month is about conlangs. So you can listen to us talk about people who create languages and the process of creating languages and support the show by going to patreon.com slash lingthusiasm and listen to that and all the previous bonus episodes there. We have like 10 bonus recorded episodes now and all of our bonus episodes from this point on are full length episodes. So you get two full enthusiasm episodes for the price of one Patreon subscription. And if you can't support the Patreon, as always, uh, you get the monthly free episode uh, here on SoundCloud or wherever else you get your podcasts. And thanks so much, everybody who's doing that already. So, vowels. Human voices are amazing. Like, the, the fact that we communicate by speech is this amazing process that's basically that humans are giant meat tubes and we make air go through those tubes to make sounds. But that's disgusting, and that's why we call it phonetics instead of meat tubes. Um, <laughs> meat tube science? The science of meat tubes and air. Um, so we, we kind of push air through, and then we have different parts of our vocal tract, so our like our like what we think of as a voice box and our mouth and all the things in our mouth to kind of change. And especially our tongue. Especially our tongue changes the way the air flows. And that changes the quality of the sound. And so all of this that we're saying now is based on that outflow of air. But it's how we stop and change and shape the air that makes different sounds. So you have a mouth. You're listening to this. You've got a mouth. You've got a tongue in it. That's kind of weird. And your tongue has a certain amount of space that it can move within your mouth. So if you start from behind your teeth, your tongue can be kind of up there. If you are not pulling funny faces to yourself on the train, you're not doing this right. <laughs> I'm, I'm pulling funny faces right now. I can't even talk because I'm trying to act it out. Um, you can go down a bit. So you can go down uh, below, your, below your lower teeth. That's a really great effect. Yeah. <laughs> you can go back. Uh, you can go back in the kind of like dentist move. Or, like open your mouth as wide as you can and say, ah, oh, ah. Oh. Oh. And then you can go kind of back up as far like to the top of the roof of your mouth at the back, and you have a up here. I, you know, maybe you can hear me sounding kind of weird. That's because I'm trying to act it out. You should act it out. You're sitting here anyway. <laughs> You've got a tongue. What else are you doing with it? Don't answer that. Um. Just let a big, especially if you're in public, just let a big bunch of air go and go, yeah. Kind of move that, move that tongue yeah. around. Yeah. And you can go backwards. You can go, I... <laughs> <laughs> hours of fun. <laughs> hours of fun. Um, and what's cool about this is that the vowels, like we think about them as distinct, like there's this vowel and there's that vowel, there's E and there's ah, but they're on a continuum. And when you open, when you drop your jaw in a vowel position, you can slide down from one vowel to the next, or you can slide back up when you raise your jaw again. Yeah. <laughs> Or ooh, <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, yeah, yeah, that was that was a different one. So you can do oh, 
Uh, and you can also slide、uh, front and back, so you can go. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like I'm asking a question.、Yeah. <laughs> Or ooh. Okay, so we、yeah. can move all around in that space. And when linguists talk about this space, we talk about vowels as existing in a trapezoid. Which, in case you've forgotten, you're like grade school geometry. Travels, it's kind of like a square, right? But the top bits are more pushed out, so it looks like either a triangle that's been chopped off or a square that's been stretched on on one side. Yeah. And the top bit of the trapezoid, the part that represents the roof of your mouth, is wider and has more stuff potentially going on in it because you have more space in the roof of your mouth than you do on the bottom part of your jaw. Well, um. Make sure that there's a picture that has one of these abstracted trapezoids overlaid on an actual face, so you can kind of get an idea what we're getting at here. Yeah, so definitely check out the show notes to make sure you get the picture. But there is an abstract picture, and you can visualize it in your mouth in three dimensional space. And it doesn't really matter; it's really mostly two dimensional because there's not much of a difference in terms of like what you do on the left side of your mouth and the right side of your mouth. You're going to produce the same vowels. That's that's not something that languages do; that people do. We're nice and symmetrical when it comes to. Yeah, to that part. There's a, also this very, very cool website which is called Pink Trombone. I guess because like that slide, I mean, we were doing basically trombone impersonations. You kind of slide between things, and it'll give you a model of the vocal tract, and you can slide the tongue around, and you can listen to it make the vowels as it, as you slide the tongue into different positions. You can play the old meat tube, but you also possess your own, and you can play around with it and pay attention to what your tongue is doing, because normally. Like we figure all this stuff out before we're like when we're babies. Like you don't think about it; you've forgotten it. And so you can you can think about like what's your tongue doing?、Um, if you leave this episode, and you if you leave this episode without thinking about how <laughs> disgusting tongues are, you've done very very well. Yeah, congratulations. <laughs>、um, no, you've done poorly. You should be thinking about how weird tongues are. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, what's cool about this this trapezoid and the fact that vowels are. Points on a continuum rather than discrete objects. You know, like there's a there's a big difference between P and T because you have to put your put your lips and your tongue in very different positions for those. But the difference between E and A is really more a question of degree rather than kind. It's it's all part of this kind of nebulous vowel space. Yeah, consonants are often not always, but often a lot more kind of locked in. You're either one or the other.、Mm-hmm. Whereas vowels go all over the place, and they're so weird <laughs> and cool. <laughs> and if you want to practice getting a sense of just how weird your tongue is, one of my favorite things to do with students, which I stole from, I think, the linguist Jesse Greaser on Facebook.、Um, hi, Jesse, if you're listening, is to get students to put a lollipop, put a lollipop on your tongue, kind of on the back. Back part of your tongue and make a bunch of vowels, and you can feel the, the lollipop moving and the stick coming out. And you're like, "Oh, the stick is moving forward and backwards," and so you can like、mm. see see where it's going and see how it how it moves. That is tastier than every other way of gaining phonetic data that I know about. <laughs> so, if you're very very lucky and you're enrolled in an interlinguistics class, maybe one day you'll get a lollipop and get to play around with vowels. With take、it. your own. <laughs> like, I'm here in intro to phonetics. <laughs> DIY the lollipop. When I first heard about this, I was like, "Well, I'm at home. I don't have any lollipops. What am I going to do?" So I ended up getting like a gummy candy and sticking a toothpick in it. It worked okay. It's good field work、uh, improvisation. Yeah.、Though. At first, I tried it with a toothbrush, but the toothbrush was too heavy and it kept falling off my mouth,、mm. and it didn't stick because it wasn't 
you know, candy it's enough. Fuzzy and not made of sugar. <laughs> then I got a toothpick and a, you know, gummy bear. <laughs> it worked okay. So you got a sense of like where in your mouth your tongue was as you were doing the different vowels. Yeah, because it's so unconscious to us. Like, we have to think about the content of what we're saying. You don't often get to drill down and think about the vowels. Yeah. I mean, it's unconscious, but we have this really strong sense of it because it's vowels that are usually driving the difference between accents. Mm. You know, both of us have a P and we say P more or less the same and we have an M and we say M more or less the same. But it's our vowels that are really, really different. Well, not really, really different, but more different. Yeah. And so when you're hearing... When you're hearing a difference in an accent in somebody or a different variety of English, you're often hearing a thing that they're doing differently for their vowels. And so sometimes you get, and especially thinking of the vowel situation as a space, is what it explains why some sounds become other sounds in particular accents. So there are some varieties of English that have what that have what's known as the pin-pen merger. Yeah. So in these varieties, you'll have people say like a sewing pin and a writing pin because those are the same sound to them. Yeah. And the reason that that's possible is because i and e, the sounds in pin and pen, they're neighbors in the vowel space. Yeah. Well, they're neighbors for us, but they live in the same share house for people with that merger. Yeah, exactly. So, and so because they're neighbors, they can also become roommates. Or they can become, <laughs> uh, they can glom onto each other and, and people can say, okay, this is, this, this is actually just one space for me. And it's yeah. all this sound that's kind of halfway between the two. Or, for example, other people might move them further apart. So, yeah. Uh, I have generally pretty high vowels. So my I, E kind of vowels are generally higher than yours are. Yeah. So, okay, say an example of that. So I have me and you have... So I say me. 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 Yeah, I think that is higher in my mouth than me. Me. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> e. <laughs> you can have lots of fun with your friends and try to say lots of vowels like this. Um, and so the reason why the pin-pan merger is possible, so you don't get, for example, the pin-pan merger. Yeah. That's not going to happen anywhere because an is pronounced way at the back of the mouth. It's a lot like your, you know, dentist, ah, pan. And pin is all the way at the front of the mouth and higher against the roof of the mouth. So if you have a low back vowel and high front vowel, a lot has to happen in order for them to glom onto each other. Yeah. But if you have two vowels and one is high front and the other one is kind of, you know, mid front then they're pretty close to each other. And so it's easy for them to, to take on the same space. Like pin and pen do that. It's actually impressive that we can all speak with slightly different, our, our vowels existing in slightly different points on the vowel space. And we can all accommodate that. It's a really impressive cognitive feat. Not only that different people can produce different accents with different vowels, but then people who don't speak that accent with only generally a little bit of exposure can kind of figure out what's happening and regularize it in their brain. Yeah, because it's kind of interesting that we only notice it when something goes wrong. So if you're saying a word in context where the word is mostly predictable from context and you're hearing what everybody else's vowels are and like what, what all the other vowels and all the other words are doing, then a word, even with quite a different vowel from how you might say it, is still pretty comprehensible because you're shifting your whole representation of a vowel space in, you know, seconds to accommodate someone else that you're listening to. And then the only time it goes wrong is when you have a word that you just don't have any context for. <laughs> um, 
So this happened to me with New Zealand English because I was watching Flight of the Concords, which is a fabulous show and has some really great New Zealand accents. Yes, and one of the guys, one of the Concords, is named Brett. What I would call Brett. Yeah. But of course, anything goes with names. Like anything can be a name. You don't necessarily know how someone's name is going to be spelled just from how they say it and so on.、Uh-huh. And so when he was introducing himself on the show, he'd be like, "My name is Brett," and I was like, "What name's what?" <laughs> like I, I don't have that vowel. Like surely it maps onto one of my vowels, but I don't know which one. <laughs> what What did you decide it was? I had to look it up. Like I didn't. I was like Brit, like Britney, but this guy <laughs> seems very doodly, and I think of that as a woman's name. But like maybe it's not. You know, maybe his name is Brit. Yeah. But like nobody else seems surprised about this. So I was like, maybe it's not Brit. Like. <laughs> <laughs> but after watching the show for long enough, do you think if you then came across them introducing a new character whose name was Dib, would do you think? Oh, then I might be like, oh, maybe that's Deb. Yeah. So you would kind of. Normalizer, you know who's really bad at figuring out vowels across different accents? Who's that? Computers. <laughs> oh, so, what's like, that? We do it. We do it so intuitively and without thinking. And it's hard when you come across a new accent, but you can learn to accommodate it. But we often forget that, like speech recognition, really, really struggles with this. It really, really does. Yeah. And so I don't know if I haven't tried to play, you know, a Flight of the Concords excerpt for. Uh, Google Assistant or Alexa or Siri or one of these to see how they manage it, but like it's probably bad. <laughs> it's quite possible it would try and call your friend Brittany if you asked it to call Brit. Ah,、uh, yeah, that that would be、mm-hmm. a problem.、Um, so when we create the transcripts for the show, we run the the transcripts through YouTube's auto captioning feature、uh, first of all, and then we get a human to fix them because they always need a lot of fixing. But at least that makes it faster. And the YouTube auto transcriber does have a lot of difficulty with your surname, Lauren. Do you want to say your surname again for us? Hi, I'm Lauren Gorn, which is like different from the past tense verb gone. So I've gone to see Lauren Gorn. They're two different vowels for me. So is that the same difference that you have between cod and caught, like a a bed and a the past tense of catch? Yes. So I caught a cold and I bought a cot. Right, and so when I met Lauren, I was like, "So you have this distinction between the past tense of go and your surname." But I don't think I make this distinction in any other words because so caught and cot are housemates in your vowel space. Yeah, they're they're just like joined at the hip. They're the same thing. So because they're already the same vowel for me, I was like, I don't think I can recreate my vowel, like re- reconfigure my vowel space. What I need is how can I map your name onto my vowel space? Because I'm not going to acquire an Australian accent just so I can say your name. So、um. like the lengths you don't go to.、Um, so how would you introduce me to someone? So I would say this is Lauren Gone. Yeah. You know, because that's the accommodation. I said, like, is it okay if I pronounce your name as the past tense of go? Because like, I don't think I have the vowel that you actually use. And of course, because we're linguists, that was actually how the conversation went. Oh yeah, that's that's literally <laughs>、yeah. what I said. <laughs>、uh, people just make these accommodations all the time. Yeah, and one of the things that I think is cool is so you know vowels can glom onto each other or they can get further apart, become estranged. But this often happens at a level that's not just one individual set of neighbors. It's like if we have a bunch of neighbors and I move into your room, and then you're like, "Excuse me, I was occupying this room. You move into the room down the hall, 
the next one, and that person's like, "Hi, sorry, I was here." I'm sorry, this is my room, <laughs> and so I'm going to occupy this next one. And then eventually, we get all the way to the end of the hallway, and that person's like, "Excuse me," and so they go back around to the front of the hall, and they're like, "Oh, this room seems empty. I guess I'll take it." It's like a giant square dance. Yeah, yeah, square dancing. That's a good example. I was trying to think of an analogy before this, and I was like, dominoes. Sometimes you'll expect someone to go into the room on the left, and they're like, "I'm going to go see if anyone's in this room on the right." Oh, hi! Like you have to get out now. <laughs> so these like mergers and stuff don't occur in isolation. Once one part of the vowel space starts to move, everyone has to start moving to kind of fit in with that. And we've seen it happen. Many, many. The reason that we have the diversity in accents that we have in English is because this shift has happened several times throughout history and several times in different places, and it's happening right now in some places, which is super exciting. Yeah, it is. So the first time that I went to LA. And the friend that I was visiting said something you have to understand about Los Angeles is everyone talks about the traffic instead of the weather because the weather's always nice. And so our small talk conversation is about how bad the traffic is instead. And I was like, <laughs> sounds weird, but okay. And she said, no, no, you really have to understand how important is this. There was this whole sketch on Saturday Night Live about people talking about the traffic in California, and I was like, I have not seen this. And so she dragged me over to computer and she pulled up YouTube and she's like, you need to watch this sketch. This is your social induction into LA. <laughs> this is my social induction into LA culture. <laughs> and, um, and so I watched this sketch and I was like, oh, yes, they are talking about the traffic. But what really interests me about this sketch is the vowels. Of course it did. <laughs> <laughs> I drew her a vowel diagram. I was like, this is what they're doing. <laughs> You're a good friend, Greg. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I think I kind of finally understand what it is you do with linguistics. <laughs> so what is happening with Californian vowels? Can you give us a few examples? Yeah. So you get these people with, you know, their their spray tans and so on, and they, they you know, come in. And there's one line in a, in a clip that I looked up before this. I'll link to a clip if you want to watch a whole longer thing. Um, but the character says something like, this family reunion's going to be huge. Have you cut the cucumbers for the dip yet? <laughs> and there's a couple keywords in that. There's family for family. Yeah. Fam family. Family reunion is going to be huge. And there's huge, which is for huge. Yeah. And there's dip for dip. Right. Dip for dip. Get the dip. Um, and what's really interesting is there's a vowel shift that's going on in California right now. It's also happening in Canada, actually. It's like the Canada-California shift. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, and it's pushing a bunch of vowels in a particular direction. So it is making the i vowel in dip a little bit further down, like i to e. And what this skit does is it says, we're not just going to take i to e like normal Californians do. We're actually going to take it one step further. We're going to take it all the way to e. So that's why it sounded particularly over caricatured. Yeah. So it's an exaggerated version of this vowel shift that California is already doing. And the same thing that they're going to say huge, the oo vowel in California is moving towards the front of the mouth where where it was. But instead of just moving it like a little bit forward, oo to oo, yeah, they're going way further forward. Huge. I'm doing vocal fry at the same time, but you know you can't. You got to keep your whole feature set together. Um, so what's really interesting about this is like I am really sure that no one at SNL 
got out their vowel chart and was like, all right, what we really need to do. Where's the California vowel shift at now? Let's move it one step further. <laughs> let's move it one step further. Let's gather all the actors around. Let's explain to them how the vowel system works. And let's tell them, okay, every time you were going to say dip, you need to say dip. And this is why, and here's the thing, I am really sure they did not have a linguist on staff. And yet what they did is actually very linguistically consistent. It's a linguistic exaggeration that is very theoretically sound. (laughs) And it's because I'm sure what they actually did is something like someone was like, hey, I can make this cool, exaggerated sounding California accent. Everybody listen to me. People were like, oh, that sounds fun. Let me imitate it too. And so you get a bunch of people sitting around being like, oh, yeah, I can imitate this accent. Someone's like, let's make a sketch making fun of Californians. And as things move, they don't all, not all vowel shifts shift in the same way. And so um, your example with uh, Flight of the Concords is a really great example that, um, so Brett moves up to Brit, um, so it's much higher. Um, and then, of course, your your dip mm-hmm. kind of sounds are like, hey, buddy, we are here. And in California, it goes down and it's still very front. It's dip. Yeah. So it's it's kind of the inverse shift. So Brett to Brit and dip to dep are the opposite of the same thing. And they're it's sensitive to the same pair of these two sounds are similar to each other. Yeah. And so while the Californian one went down to dep, the New Zealand vowel shift goes down to dup, which is more of an uh, or our friend, the schwa. Oh, because Brit is, is taking up so that. So Brit has taken up that. And so Californian English decided to go down to dep. Yeah. And New Zealand English has gone down to dup. Do you have an example of this in a word? Um, so dup or the, the kind of famous uh, shibboleth one for New Zealand en- English is talking about um, instead of ordering fish and chips, you order fush and chops. Oh, fush and chops. Is the like uber stereotyped. Uh, but it's that vowel is the main, that little shift that's happening is the main way to distinguish a New Zealand and an Australian accent. Yeah. So you don't have any Brits or chops. No, we have Brett. And we have fish and chips. But a lot of the rest of the accent is very similar. Yes. Yeah, so that's those are your free how to tell the difference between Australian and New Zealand accents feature. And so these have both shifted. The same vowel in California has moved out of the same house as New Zealand, but they've moved into different neighborhoods after that. Yeah, they took different paths along the hallway. I'm picturing like a dorm or something, or like a, <laughs> you know, we have a bunch of rooms along a hall. <laughs> I'm thinking of the Cluedo board personally. Okay. Um... <laughs> Did you ever play that game called Sorry or I don't know, maybe people call it Trouble? Is this a Canadian thing? Uh yes. I've played I've played Trouble. Is it called Sorry in Canada? That is the most Canadian <laughs> board game I've ever heard of. Because when you knock someone out of their position in the game, you have to say sorry, but like no, you're not sincere only about you it. You have to say sorry, you Canadians. You say, <laughs> Hi, you're in trouble. <laughs> no, we're like sorry, but like in a gleeful sense, not in a actually apologetic okay. sense. So it's essentially like a reskin of Ludo, where you move different coloured counters around the board and you enjoy knocking people off the board. This is why I like talking about vowel gymnastics, because the vowels kind of topple over. They move in a in a cycle. They move around the whole space. They don't just, you know, do these individual atomized things by themselves. And there's also a really cool example of this in the history of English. A really good example called the Great Vowel Shift. It's pretty great. <laughs> it's pretty great. It's the only one that has great in the name. You know, all the other ones are named after their locations. The Great Vowel Shift is just, you know, Vowel Shift the Great and it was great because it really changed the way English around the like between like the 
1300s and the 1600s. So this is the reason why Chaucer and Shakespeare sound so different when you read them, is because in between, all of the vowels in English really just started moving systematically, not chaotically, around in the vowel space to the new homes that haven't moved that much since the 1600s. Yeah. I mean, this is also the reason, if you've learned any other language that uses the Roman alphabet, that English spelling is so weird. Yeah. Um, so if you take a word like coffee in English, yep. uh, and coffee has this ee at the end, and the ee is a very standard English way of spelling the sound e. But in Old English, the letter that we now talk about as e was pronounced a. So a word like coffee was pronounced more like cofe. Yeah. And if that sounds like the word cafe, which was borrowed in from French, and French did not have this shift happen <laughs> after the shift had already happened, so coffee and cafe, they used to be pronounced basically the same way. Yeah. Words like knee, like the part of your body, yeah. were pronounced kne. So this ea relationship. So the first thing that happens, well, Scholars aren't quite sure what order it happens, but let's say for the sake of argument that the A sound pops up to the E sound. So can A becomes knee. Met becomes meat. Yeah. And then, so two things happen, right? So the one thing, the sound that was formerly the E sound is like, excuse me, I was here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so it drops down and it becomes a diphthong, which is I. So this is the letter I. So a word like meat becomes our word bite, as in don't bite that lollipop. And so that I, if you think about what's happening with that it in bite, you're going from one part of the vowel space to the other in the vowel compared to something like bit, which is just a single, you, you kind of go into one spot in the vowel space and hanging out there. Bite is like someone who owns two houses in the, in different neighborhoods and kind of moves between them. <laughs> it's like if I bought the apartment next door and I put half my stuff in one and half the stuff in the other, and I was like, I'm just yeah. going to hang out in both of these. So we have bite now, and that's become a diphthong. Yeah, it's two vowel sounds. And then now we're down at the bottom, and we've got the regular ah sound. And it was like, yeah, I'm just going to squish forward a little bit to get out of the way of I. And so you have ah. So in a word like... So mate was mart and becomes mate, kind of gets up and, and moves out a bit. Well, yeah. So it moves up into where A was because Kne left that space for it. Yeah. We'll have a diagram of this in the show notes. It's helpful to have the audio for it, but it's, it's hard to visualize. And so they all moved around. And what's interesting is that, so this is your ca cafe moves around there. And the same thing happened for the back vowels. So a mm. word like goose... With So the double O letter combination, which we think of as, you know, an oo in English, like goose, was at one point pronounced gose, <laughs> which is amazing. Yeah. And the same thing as like the double E in knee, kne, knee. Gose. Gose. Goose. Goose. Going up. They, so they both moved yeah. up. And the actual letter oo, well, well, that one kind of became, did a bunch of things. <laughs> Yeah, so not all of them stayed exactly the same and there were all these other factors involved. But the important thing is vowels started shifting and they did this on a massive scale 
and it changed what we think of as the way English is spoken, and it certainly didn't help with how it was written. And it had this weird repercussion. So a lot of people learned in school that English has long vowels and the short vowels. And the, the mnemonic that I learned was the long vowels are the ones that say their own name. So e a u o. Those are the ones that say their own name, and the short vowels like i and e and a don't say their own names. Yes. But that's a weird mnemonic. Why are we calling them long and short for that reason? And it's because ultimately, especially when we've just learned the word diphthong. <laughs> I know.、Um, it's because in the history of English and in many modern languages still currently, there are long and short vowels, and the long vowels are literally pronounced for a longer period of time. That's the difference. Yes,、yeah, that is the difference. <laughs> so if you have something like bait and bait and One of those is just longer. Yeah. Or hypothetically, you have kne and kne, which is really hard as an English speaker to get the hang of because you're used to hearing these clear differences in in the place or that they're diphthongs or、yeah. something like that. Or ghosts and ghosts. <laughs> You've made a ridiculous word even more ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm doing great at this. And so what happened was. This change affected only the English long vowels. They shifted. They were all in competition with each other, and the English short vowels stayed pretty much where they were and did pretty much a similar thing. So we used to have these nice pairs of e and e, e and a, a and a, and it was very symmetric. And you know, it's a little bit. It has a little bit of a different of a different sound quality to it, but it was pretty much just the length that made the distinction. And this is what Latin had had, for example. Latin had ah and ah, e and e, and so Latin was like, look, I've got five vowels. They come in long and short versions, but that's pretty easy. So I'm just going to have five vowel letters. And Old English had pretty much five vowels and long and short versions, and so five vowel letters was very reasonable. And then this vowel shift happened, and now your long. A is being pronounced e, and your long e、yeah. is being pronounced i, and the short. And you still only got five letters to write it.、In. I know, and they have so little relationship with each other, except historically. Yeah, <laughs> and it just like that's why English spelling is so completely weird. Partly because of this thing that happened in the Middle Ages when a whole bunch of vowels shifted, and we kept writing them the same way because the writing system、yeah. was already established, and then. Because this thing on top of it, where now we have a whole bunch of different varieties of English, and a lot of them are undergoing their own separate vowel shifts, and they're still all being written the same way. Which brings us to a really interesting question, which is how does the IPA deal with vowels? Because we have this infinite possibility of spaces where vowels could be, but we have to write them in some way, and obviously the English system is is not going to work. <laughs> The English system is not going to work, and you do see this sometimes. So sometimes, if you see languages that have been written with other writing systems, they get romanized. They have different romanization versions of them. Depending on when that romanization happened, sometimes the romanization will use English conventions. So, for example, if you think of like the Chinese last name Li, sometimes it's written L E E, which is using the English convention that double E stands for the E sound. Yeah. And sometimes that same last name is written L I, which is using a different convention that the letter I, which in every other language that uses the Roman alphabet, you know, <laughs> French and Spanish and 
<laughs> so on. Uh, that's what that letter stands for. So you can look at transcription systems and say, okay, was this person using an English perspective or an international Latin-based perspective when they were romanizing yeah. this particular writing system? And yeah. the IPA does this too. And the IPA has kind of picked the most common salient points on the space in terms of like whether it's near the front or the back and also whether the lips are rounded or not. So the difference between E and the French U, that front rounded vowel, the only difference is that your lips are like brought together in a rounded Making a circle. thing or not. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so the, the IPA does take this international perspective. So when you're learning the IPA vowels, if you speak, you know, literally any other language that uses the, the Roman alphabet, you know, Spanish being one of them or Italian or something, the regular looking vowels in the IPA look very familiar. You know, so you'll have the, like, cafe is a perfectly good IPA word, except for the C at the beginning, because C is weird. <laughs> uh, but the A ah and the A are IPA-ish, whereas coffee gets written completely differently in IPA, because they're like, look, English did this weird thing in the Middle Ages, but we're not going to do it like that for an international standard, <laughs> which means that it's really weird as an English speaker, because you learn to read IPA and you're like, wow, this is so weird and difficult. And then you try to read IPA Spanish and you're like, this is strangely easy and I'm suspicious of how easy it is. <laughs> and it's because when you use more than just the five vowels and Y that we have in our writing system and W, you begin to realize that English has way more than five vowels. English has like 12 vowels, which makes it... Or 14. It depends on the dialect. Or 14, depending on how much merging yeah. you're doing, which makes it one of the largest vowel inventories cross-linguistically. Yeah. So, you know, English has a, a pretty normal amount of consonants, but it's got a very large vowel inventory because it has this weird split with the long vowels where they all became like completely different weird vowels. So a language like Arabic is generally considered to have three vowels, a, e, yeah. and u. And then it also has long versions of all of those. But that's still really kind of three vowels plus length. A lot of Australian Indigenous languages have only three vowels. But what that means is that there's a lot more variation in how you can pronounce them. So if you only have a E, R, and O, mm -hmm. your R could be like anywhere. Like it's a much larger mm -hmm. house that it's living in, in the vowel space. Um, and there's a lot more variation in, in how people pronounce it. Whereas for a language like English, you've got to fit 14 vowels into the same space. And so you have to make much clearer distinctions between them. Yeah. And the same thing is true in Arabic. Um, like there's, you know, it has a it has some consonants that uh, English doesn't have. So you have seen and sawed, which are two different S sounds. But what they, yeah. they did for me when I was learning Arabic perceptually as an English speaker is they really changed the vowel quality around it. So if you had C if you had the the kind of regular s with a with an e vowel it would be like c but if you had it with the the other kind of s with the e vowel it would be more like say it would bring the e down and so you'd write the e the same way and it was the s that was officially different but yep. when i was trying to wrap my head around this i was like wow i can really easily hear this difference between where the vowels are it's just that vowels aren't officially part of this system yeah and they've got much more They've got a bigger house to move around in. Yeah, so they've got more elbow room. And yep. when you're coming from a language that makes fewer vowel distinctions and trying to learn a whole bunch of them, now you've got to carve up this space that you're really not used to dealing with at all. Most important question I think we have to ask for this episode, Gretchen. What's your favorite vowel? I really like U 
like the French or German, you know, it's like e, but your lips are rounded. U sound. It's a good one. Yeah. It's so good because it's not an Englishy vowel, but it's easy to describe to English speakers because you can very mechanically like produce an e. Oh, okay. It's it's there, and it just it sounds so cool. It sounds very I don't know flute like. Yeah. A good one. What's your favorite vowel? Well, I mean, obviously, given that it is the superlinguo logo, have a bit of an affinity for schwa. Mm. Um, I think we need to do like a whole schwa episode. We do. It's a pretty good vowel. It's a great vowel, and it's so weird. It's it has some really interesting properties. It, uh, yeah, I just really like it, and I like that you know. So schwa is the vowel in like sofa or potato. Yeah, it looks like an upside down e. Yeah, and I think I like that about it. it was like the first. Non general Latin alphabet vowel that made sense to me. Yeah, and there's one of the cool things about vowels as a space is that languages tend to do, you know, you tend to make efficient use of the space. So you get a fair number of languages that have five vowels or have three vowels, and when a language has just five or three vowels, it tends to be the same ones. So it's either a a e o u or it's e u a. Because you're trying to like occupy all the different corners very efficiently. Yeah, useful if you want to design a naturalistic conlang. Yeah, to know this fact. We also have a whole bunch of vowel-related links. I once made a cross-stitched schwa. I've made schwa gingerbread. It's a bit of a bit of a reoccurring theme for me. There's this really excellent embroidery of all of the different. So there's a there's a set of keywords called the called the Wells lexical sets, which are specific words that you can use to talk about specific vowels because it can kind of get hard to say like the ah vowel or the e vowel. So we have like foot and strut and goose to talk about uh and ah and yeah. ooh. We made them into a set with emoji, but someone made a really beautiful cross stitch with different animals. Someone made a really beautiful cross stitch of it. Um, somebody else also dressed up as all of the different Wells lexical sets for Halloween. Last Halloween, that was great. She got her whole department to everybody dress up as a different, you know, a goose and a, these kinds of things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so those are really good. So vowels have a bit of a memeish quality as well as their serious acoustic quality. Yeah. Check out the links. For more Lingthusiasm and links to all the things mentioned in this episode, go to lingthusiasm.com. You can listen to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, or wherever else you get your podcasts, and you can follow at Lingthusiasm on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Tumblr. You can get IPA scarves and other Lingthusiasm merch at lingthusiasm.com slash merch. I can be found as at Gretchen A. McSee on Twitter, and my blog is allthingslinguistic.com. I tweet and blog as Superlinguo. To listen to bonus episodes, ask us your linguistic questions, and help us keep the show ad-free, go to patreon.com slash lingthusiasm or follow the links from our website. Current bonus topics include conlangs, the semantics of sandwiches, language games, and hypercorrection. And you could help us pick the next topic by becoming a patron. If you can't afford to pledge, that is okay too, because we really appreciate if you can rate us on iTunes or recommend Lingthusiasm to anyone who needs a little more linguistics in their life. Lingthusiasm is created and produced by Gretchen McCulloch and Lauren Gaughan. Our audio producer is Claire, our editorial producer is Emily, and our production assistant is Celine. And our music is by The Triangles. Stay Lingthusiastic! Lingthusiastic!